Don't you love that song? I mean, it, it's a song that reminds us of the wide and deep nature of, uh, of God's love for us. And, and you might remember doing it in Bible school or Sunday school, and you, you know, you'd change the words a little bit. You'd do, instead of deep and wide, you'd wide and deep. And then as you went on into it, you go, hmm, 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 hmm. So you remember, you remember that? There's a fountain flowing, hmm, hmm, hmm. Yeah, you all remember that. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. If you forget everything else, if you tune the message out, just remember deep and wide, okay? And you're going to get uh, the message down. Um, I'm using an old, old Bible. You can tell it's old by the hairdo on the front. This is from, well, a, a few years ago. It is the Bible my home church, the Mary Esther United Methodist Church, presented to me in the third grade. And it's a reminder of this deep and wide and long nature of God's love. And as we continue in this series on redeemed love, well, we were joking about it as we were talking about planning the sermon. Vern and I said, you know, we could just read this text and just sit down and you heard everything you need to hear. I mean, Paul sums up what God longs for us to experience. Uh, in these verses. So hear now the word of the Lord. It's found in the Living Bible because I love the way the writer paraphrases this. I mean, it's it's great in all translations, but uh, listen uh, to what Paul longs for his people. Uh, The third chapter, starting with verse 14. When I think of the wisdom and scope of his plan, I fall down on my knees and pray to the Father of all the great family of God, some, some of them already in heaven, some down here on earth, that out of his glorious and limited resources, he will give you the mighty inner strengthening of his Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all of God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love really is. And experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great, you'll never see the end of it or fully know it or understand it. And so at the last, you'll be filled with God Himself. Now, glory be to God, who by his mighty power at work within us is able to do far more than we could ever dare to ask or dream of infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. May he be given glory forever and ever through endless ages because of his master plan of salvation for his church through Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I can't say it any better than that but I hope to help unpack it a little bit so that you can experience all that God intends for you. When um, you think about prayer requests, I mean, what what do you think about? I mean, what what do you pray for? Uh, You know, what what is it that people long for when when they pray? There's a, a, a little boy that sent a letter to George Burns who played God in the movie, Oh God. Some of you all might remember that. If you have a Bible from my day and time, you, you remember that movie. And, 
And George Burns got a lot of letters after that, particularly from kids. And he got one letter one time that really made him smile. It, it was addressed to God in Beverly Hills. Yeah, that's, I guess, where God resides, in, in Beverly Hills. And he opened up the letter. And it's from a little boy. It said, Dear God, please don't let it rain on Saturday because that's our baseball championship day. Don't let it rain then. And so, um, you know, George Burns got tickled by that because he got a letter later on from that same little boy that said this, Dear God, thanks, but we lost. So, (laughs) yeah, what is it that we pray for? You know, uh, Americans do pray. I mean, we really do. 64% of Americans pray at least once a month. 48% of Americans pray every day. Despite the fact of what we think about the millennial generation, you know, the, this younger generation that was, uh, you know, born in the 90s, they, 62% of them say they pray often. Now, they may not be in church. That there's something there that is compelling them to reach out to God. What do folks pray for? of the people that pray say they pray for other people. 72% say they pray for themselves. 12% uh, say that they pray for governmental leaders. 5% say they pray for Hollywood actors, which reminds me of the prayer group one time that had a prayer meeting for one of the characters on Days of Our Lives because that person was in the hospital. 12% of the people pray for their favorite sporting team. And, you know, us Auburn football fans, we are down on our knees a whole lot, as are North Carolina basketball fans, I understand. Right, Jim? Yeah. You know, there's 13% of the people, or excuse me, 31% of the people say they pray for their enemies. Kind of what we're going to talk about next week. 7% say they pray for a good parking spot, and the same amount say they pray that they won't get a speeding ticket. Yeah, it's interesting what people pray for, isn't it? If I asked you, what, what, what are you praying for? What would it be? Well, we see in this letter that Paul is writing to his good friends at the church at Ephesus because I say his good friends, he stayed here longer than any other church according to the book of Acts over three years. He is writing to them, expressing his deepest longing for them. This is Paul's prayer request for his people, his friends, that they would know the deep and abiding love of God, be rooted deeply down in the soil of God's love. And you might remember, if some of you all can remember that far back, when I first came here back in July, I used this text as a saying, this is what I hope you receive from the ministry that you experience in this church. And learning the heart of our our, our fellow pastors, I know that's their longing for each and every one of you as well, that you experience the fullness and abundance of God and all who God is. That's our deepest prayer for you. And that's Jesus' longing for you, to be filled with God God's self. It's interesting how this writing starts out. You know, Paul starts out, says, when I think about his marvelous plan, I fall down on my knees. Now, this is interesting because the standard way that our Jewish friends pray is standing. We we see this when Jesus in, in Mark's gospel says, when you stand and pray, forgive. We see Solomon when he's praying to God for, for uh, wisdom in the temple. He's there standing. 
But there are times, you see, that we see in Scripture that people were compelled to fall to their knees. And Ezra 9, Ezra is kneeling down before the Lord because of the sinfulness of, of the people, and he's pleading for the people. We see this with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's kneeling down there in the garden because of his, his anguish and his fear. But we know, too, that people pray and kneel to God in humble adoration and praise and are overwhelmed with who God is. Isaiah, when he thinks about the wonderful plan of salvation that God has for all creation, he's down on his knees. And Paul talks about this later on in his writings in Philippi and other places that at some point, every knee is gonna bow, every tongue's gonna fess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, Paul is overwhelmed by the sense of who God is and God's great love, that he can do nothing more than just bow down because he's overwhelmed by the greatness and goodness of God as we heard Lindsey Ray sing just so beautifully just a little bit ago. You ever been in a place like that where you are overwhelmed by who God is? Maybe it's some worship service, some worship experience like here. Lots of times it's when we're in the great outdoors, isn't it? If any of y'all have ever been to the desert or lived in the desert like I did when Uncle Sam sent me out to uh, those infernal regions of, of Southern California, you know, in the, in the daylight, the desert can be kind of bleak. You know, it's just endless dust and sand for miles and miles, but oh, my stars, at night, because there's really no trees and nothing blocking the, the horizon and the view, you can see stars from horizon to horizon. And you are overwhelmed in the grandeur of it all. And I remember being out in the desert one time and just looking up into space and, and seeing, uh, you know, the stars surrounding me. And I was taken back to well, Psalm 8, where David, probably in a similar scene that I was in at that moment, because, you know, a lot of Judea is countryside and, and desert-like. I said, as he, said, as he uh, proclaimed in Psalm 8, what is man that you think thou thinkest of him? Who am I in the midst of this grand universe? And I was overwhelmed by the grandeur of it all. Have you ever been there? Have you ever, ever been there? That's where Paul is in this. He, he's pondering who God is and how great God is and his tremendous love for all of us. And he bows down and kneels before God. And he says this about God, God who is the father of all humanity and all peoples on heaven and, and, and on earth. You see, one of the reasons why Paul is writing this is, as we look back a, a chapter beforehand is that Paul is saying to them that this Christ has come to end all divisions between all people. Christ has come to break down the barriers that exist between every one of us. And he's particularly writing to these Ephesians who have Jewish Christians in them and, he, and, and uh, Gentile Christians there in them. And he's saying, these barriers have already been broken down by Christ. They no longer exist. He's come to make every person a part of his family. He's coming to reestablish the innocence that was there from the very beginning 
when Adam and Eve had nothing that separated themselves from each other. You ever been to a a playground and watch little kids like these kids we have here these are the preschoolers if you've watched them down in the in the preschool in the nursery here at the church it's so wonderful to see them play they don't worry about colors of skin or what what type of clothes they have on or what accents that they have they're just there playing together because in their innocence they accept one another And see, that's what the Apostle Paul is saying there, that in Christ, God has restored us all as a human family, one with each other, that we are bound together, and those walls that divide us apart have been broken down. We are with one another in Christ Jesus. And so all are a part of this human family. And what he's saying is that you Jewish folks and you Gentile folks, you old folks and you young folks, you black folks and you white folks, you rich folks and you poor folks, we're all here together. We're all in this family, you see. And it doesn't matter where you're from, We are all in this together. It doesn't matter what language you speak, Hebrew or Greek or Latin or Sumerian or Spanish or English or Russian or Ukrainian. In Christ, we're all bound together. Not something that will happen or ought to happen. It has happened, you see. Christ's arms are expanded in love for all humanity. When Paul bows down and considers his, the great plan of the, for the family of God, all of God's children, this is his wish for all of us. No barriers, no dividing lines. We're all here. That's what he's getting at. It's for everybody And then he talks about being rooted and grounded in love. You got to like what Diane Rose has put up here. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Seeing the roots go down the air. Now, I remember the first time I tuned in to Boone United Methodist. I have been told by David Graves, Bishop Graves. I, I'm, a, I'm on loan from Alabama. He's my bishop, so Ultawa Church. He told me to send you all greetings. Uh, when Bishop Graves told me that I was coming here, of course, I had to tune in. I was excited about that. Still am excited about being here, by the way. And Jeff was preaching. And it was a sermon you all might remember where he had gotten the, the small little uh, Christmas tree that, that and he showed the roots of that. He, he, he talked about how the, the roots have to go down deep into the soil and they can't be all bound up together. And that it was the longing of God that we be rooted and grounded in the, in the love of God. And I've got to plant trees. In fact, you know, y'all have let me plant some apple trees at the parsonage, and my wife likes to plant stuff all over. And I know, I know that you've got to have 
good soil in which to root things. And you gotta un- unleash those, those roots that are all sometimes bound up together when you first plant them. You gotta you got separate them and, and make sure that they're planted deep and strongly within some soil that's rich in nutrients, right? Well, what Paul is saying is that he wants us to be rooted and grounded deeply into the only soil that can cause us to grow. And that's the soil of God's great love. It's a, it's a soil that, that we can flourish in and that we can grow in. It's a, it's a soil that enables us to experience the abundance of all who, of who God is. It's a soil that enables us, you see, to grow deep in love. And it's the only soil that can cause us to stand during the storms of life. When, well, I've grown up for most of my life, lived most of my life in areas that are affected by hurricanes. I don't know, trees can go over for lots of reasons. I mean, there might be some internal rot. They might be old. There might be some weakness in the branches. But more often than not, a tree's going to go over because it has a shallow root system, right? And those trees that have uh, roots that don't go down deep into the soil, well, when those storms come, they're, a lot of times they're going to fall over. I have had a member of a church, my church in Fairhope that he had a great pecan orchard. That's how he made his living. And the, when the... Hurricane Sally hit just a couple years ago. Most of them went over because pecan trees are notorious for having shallow root systems. But trees that are deeply rooted, well, they can stand these storms. And the only foundation that can last for our lives is this foundation of love. Paul also talks about in other places, and Jesus says it too, that in, in, in the ancient world, you had a choice. You could work hard and dig deep and build your homes on the rockiness of the hillside, or you could go the cheap way, build something down in, in the valley where the soil was soft and easy to build on, you could, and you could put up the home pretty easily and pretty cheaply. But you all know the song, and the house built upon the sand went squish, right? Yeah, the only thing that lasts, the only thing that we can count on is being rooted in the deep love of God to build our lives on the foundation of God's love. As we talked about last week during that series, that mini series that was a part of this series on redeemed love in, in 1 Corinthians 13, you might, might remember what we said that the only things that last are the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, the hope that you have of heaven, and the love of God in our lives that we express to others. Those are the only things that last. Anything else is a false foundation. And if we're not rooted in God's love, if we're not building our lives upon the foundation of that love, all everything else is going to fail and disappear. And as we grow in this love, as we get more intimate in this love, as, we, as the roots of our lives grow deeper into that love, well, then our intimacy with God increases. And we can come to a point, as Paul says in Romans 8, 
that we're so close to God that the Spirit of God speaks into our own hearts and through our hearts to God, where we share our deepest longings, reveal our most scary secrets, where we ask for our woundedness to be healed, and we share our true dreams because the Spirit of God is dwelling deep within us as we've deeply rooted ourselves in God's love. It's something we gotta work at. It's something that we have to do every day, kinda like weeding a garden, tending to the soil. That's what we long for, isn't it? To be deeply rooted within God. Now, we say this, some of y'all may have never done this. You've never had this experience of feeling God's love in your life and experiencing the deepness and mystery of what it means to be bound up in God. Well, I encourage you to see me, Jeff, or one of the other pastors. You're going to see an email address up here in a minute. Email us because we want you to experience this. This is our prayer for you, echoing the prayer of Paul and the longing of Jesus for your life. Something interesting, though. I mean, we in our individual society just say, well, well this, is, this is for me. It's about me. And, and, and this is what just, you know, it's something I want in my heart. And that's true because it is a relationship with you and God. But Paul expands it longer for he says, all the children, all God's saints. And that's the word that is translated from the Greek. It is the word for saints. It's all of us that God longs for us to have this. Yes, as individuals, but yes, us all bound together with those dividing lines that I just talked about are blown aside and we're rooted and bound together in God's love as the church. If you all have ever been to Colorado, you may have seen an aspen tree in an aspen grove. You know, you know those are very fascinating. Beautiful trees, particularly in September when those golden leaves are there and they, they kind of shimmer in, 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 the, in the wind. Well, you see, the, the aspen trees are pretty interesting because they'll grow in groves. And uh, scientists tell us that really this grove is really all just one tree because uh, they expand as the roots of one tree go out and then other shoots from that tree go out. In fact, the largest living organism is in the San Juan forest there in Colorado. And it's the same tree that has developed branches that come up out of the soil into the air. It's called pardio, meaning expanding. And that's the way it is with this love that God is talking about in, in, in the church. It's all of us with the same root growing up to express our giftedness and our glory to God like an aspen grove. We experience this love together. I know in my own life, sometimes I've experienced God most richly through the love that I've experienced through brothers and sisters in the church. So yes, we are all individually rooted, but we as a church are rooted and loved by God 
Just like we're loved by God despite our faults and our failings, so too we, the church, are loved by God despite the fact that we don't love as we ought to love, despite the fact that sometimes we neglect our duties to the poor, that sometimes, yes, we major in minors and and forget what our true nature is all about, to be love of, of God into the world. It's the church, you see, that God has shown his love to. Where all divisions, all divisiveness, all brokenness is healed by the expansive love of God as shown to us in Jesus Christ. We're like a grove of aspens, you see. We're all the same root, down in the same soil of God's love. And it's something that we are called to comprehend each and every day as best we can. I know it's hard to do that we're so busy but we're called to do that so that we can experience the deepness and the fullness and the eternal nature of God's love for us any of y'all been to Thomasville Georgia you know there's a lot of Thomasville there's a Thomasville North Carolina I found out there's a Thomasville Alabama at Thomasville there you know you remember the big oak there you know Thomasville if you haven't been there Back in the late part of the 19th century, that's as far as the railroad tracks would go. It wouldn't go down into Florida. I guess they were tired of heat or mosquitoes, but it would go down to Thomasville. And the rich industrialists have built wonderful mansions and plantations there. And it's something that if you're heading to Tallahassee to you see a ball game or do something like that, stop in Thomasville. It's a wonderful little town. It's got lots of cute shops and restaurants. So take your credit card, because you're going to need it. But the, the most famous thing there is this big oak. It's huge. Now, it's, you know, pretty tall. It's 65 feet tall, but it's, it expands out 165 feet. I mean, it's got branches that span way, way out. It's one of the largest and oldest live oaks in our country. In fact, when I was reading uh, Shaun of the South, which is something that you might want to subscribe to, it's something enlightening every day. When I was reading Shaun this past week, Shaun said it was President Eisenhower's favorite tree. And when we went to, to Thomasville and escaped all the hubbub, we went to this big oak. And there's a pamphlet about it. It's 337 years old. That's old. And when it started out as a sapling, you know, the colonists were first settling that area. When its roots are going deep down into the rich soil of South Georgia, it sprung up in the midst of our revolution. It had seen Confederate soldiers march by it. It had seen those industrials from up north come down and make houses around it. It has seen world wars. It has seen children born in that town play under its branches and lie in rest in in the cemetery just up the street. It's old, you see. It's seen a lot as its tree roots have gone down in the soil and its branches have extended outward. It's seen a lot. But that's nothing compared to the eternal nature of these mountains that surround us here. 
you know, we live in the oldest mountains in all the world here. You know that? And these mountains have seen trees like that big oak grow and fall down and rise up again. Seen forests uh, that have started, burned, and grown up again. These mountains have seen woolly mammoths and saber-toothed cats and seen the time when buffalo were around here. These mountains are old. These mountains are beautiful. And I know that they can be reminders of the eternal nature, the great height and depth of God's love for you. So this week, I challenge you to go to a place, maybe it's like that big oak, because I, as I said, I recalled how, how long and how old that tree was, and it's just a drop in the ocean of how great God's love is for me and for you and for the church. So I challenge you this week, go to a place. For some of y'all, it's out your back porch. And take a look at something that overwhelms you in its grandeur, in its beauty, and reminds you of agelessness. It reminds you of how long and how deep God's love is for you. It may be, you know, you're thinking about, you know, I like these mountains, but, you know, I've heard some folks have been to the beach recently. You might, you might reflect back on your time as you saw the endless tides coming back and forth along the seashore. It reminds you of the timeless nature of God's love pouring into our lives. Or you look out at the expanse of the water and realize that for miles upon miles upon miles, there is this deep water. And God's love is even deeper than the deepest depths of that ocean. Wherever it is, I challenge you this week to go think about that. If it's a place you can take a picture, where is that office at boonumc.org? Take a picture of it. Send it to us. We'll post them out there. Say a word about it. Never mind all of us of the deepness and wideness of God's love. Apostle Paul didn't really know how to put it. Uh, he just said, you know, I, I remember my reading the book of Job and, and, and the expansiveness of, of God's love. And, and, and he might have recalled Psalm 139 where it said, there's nowhere that we can go that we can escape the loving gaze of God. So Paul put it this way. Maybe in imagining a cross that extends high up into the heavens, going down deep into the center of the earth, expanding as far as you could see in the horizons to the east and to the west, knowing that that great cross encompasses all the world, encompasses you and me and the church. Well, he's telling us a truth that I hope that you experience that God's love is deep and it is wide. 